You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. So I, I just took Hebrew exegesis uh, May into mid-June. It was the single hardest academic endeavor of my life. I wanted to cry many, many days. Uh, but part of the part of the class was translation of the book of Jonah, and it is an unbelievable book. It is like... They don't waste a word in the book of Jonah. And so, you know, it's funny. There are three different books that are entitled The Gospel According to Jonah. Uh, so as in terms of looking back at the Old Testament to see a, a kind of a clear picture of the gospel, Jonah is one of those books where it's very clear. You can take a book like Obadiah or Nahum, uh, and it's, it's you got to dig a little deeper. It's kind of hard to see uh, the message of the explicit gospel. But Jonah is really, really clear. And so I'm going to start... Uh, with just this little, uh, this little chart. This is one of my favorites. I've, I share this a lot. But basically, it talks about the message of the cross and the gospel. Uh, the gospel tells us hard news about our, uh, tells us hard news about God and ourselves. The gospel tells us good news about God and ourselves. And so when we talk about, and you think about it in terms of the cross, I didn't make a very good cross here, but just imagine that that crossbar there is the cross. The hard news that uh, the gospel tells us about God and ourselves is it tells us that God is so holy and so just uh, that he cannot uh, leave sin not dealt with. God must uh, punish and God must rectify all sin. And so on the cross, all sin is dealt with on Jesus Christ. The cross tells us the hard news about ourselves is that we are so sinful uh, that God would have to come down from heaven to rescue us from our sin and from the wrath of God. And so that's a hard message, that we, we are totally incapable of redeeming ourselves. Only Jesus through the cross can redeem us. Now, the good news about God is that God loves us so much. He's so loving, he's so merciful, that he would rather send his son to the cross than send us to the cross. Uh, he wants to and longs to rescue and redeem us um, from being separated and alienated from God. And uh, the good news about us is that we are so valued and so loved by God um, that he would rather himself in the person of Jesus Christ die on the cross um, than, than leave, leave us abandoned. And so, he, yeah, so the Lord, um, the Lord values our lives, every single life, so deeply. And so that's the kind of the nexus of the gospel. Um, is, and you can see it running through that message of the cross. And so you're going to see that uh, this, you know, we talk about the gospel, we're talking about our whole, uh, God's holiness and our sinfulness, God's love and mercy and our value as seen through God's love and mercy. And so, uh, you know, simple definition of the gospel is God's love for sinners through Christ. Uh, that captured it pretty well. And so we're going to uh, see in Jonah uh, how, how this, this plays out. But um, I'm going to start, I'm going to read Jonah chapter 1, um, and then we're going to work through it. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'm just going to go through all of Jonah 1. It's such an amazing book. Okay, so now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. By the way, in Hebrew narrative, repetition is, you know, is a characteristic of Hebrew narrative. So notice terms, phrases, places that are just repeated over and over again. 
But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to them, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from, and what is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet quiet down for you, for I will know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on his innocent blood, uh, lay not on us his innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It's the word of the Lord. All right, going back to the beginning, uh, to give you a little context for, for the book of Jonah, um, at, at the time, at this time, uh, Israel, and by the way, with Jonah, you kind of have to think in terms of the historic context and the literary context. What I mean by that is the historic context is we have a story about the prophet Jonah. And Jonah is attested to in the Bible. He's in 2 Kings chapter 14. He is a king under Rehoboam II, uh, which is the 8th century. So Jonah was a real person. And, uh, and I, 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 based on Jesus' uh, references and allusions to the story of Jonah, I don't believe that this is a fable um, or you know, something that's fictitious. I believe that Jonah was an actual historical person, and this is an actual historic uh, story that is told for the edification of God's people. Uh, so with that being said, the historic context, Jonah lives in the 8th century, and it's a really interesting time because, first off, the Israel, uh, the kingdom of Israel, was divided into two. Uh, there had been a, a kind of a civil war. There had been a coup d'etat of sorts uh, under Jeroboam, and so there was, it was split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel, Southern kingdom was called Judah. And the northern kingdom uh, was bad, bad to the bone. There was not a, really, there was hardly a single good king of the north. So if you go through the book of First Kings and Second Kings, it gives you little biographies of the northern kings and the southern kings. And you see, there are quite a few faithful kings of Judah. This is where Jerusalem is. This is where the temple is. But there's this kind of juxtaposition and contrast between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. These are people who do not live according to God's covenant. And these are people who are a little bit more faithful in the end. They, they blow their tires out too. Um, but what's going on here is Jonah is a faith, uh, well, eh, semi-faithful prophet um, in the northern kingdom. 
And uh, he prophesies to Rehoboam, hey, there's going to be prosperity in this time. Uh, it's gonna, the days are going to be good. Now, Rehoboam was, I mean, he was dirty and rotten. He was, he was not a good king. It, it says that he did wickedness in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, he was not faithful in any way, but God just happened to bless him. Northern, the northern kingdom happened to kind of benefit at this time from a power vacuum. There was really, the, the Assyrian kingdom was declining. The Babylonians weren't really super strong. So there was basically, there was there really, it's kind of like, you know, if in uh, the 90s when Alabama won so many games, uh, no one was any good. I mean, Florida was good, but everybody else was down. And, and hey, we were pretty good, but we benefited from absolutely no competition whatsoever. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right, guys? Totally, the Stallings era. Um, so that's kind of what's going on here with Israel. And so with that being said, Jonah was probably liked, you know, like, hey, Rehoboam, you're a bad guy, but God's going to bless you with incredible wealth, and you guys are actually going to be kind of more powerful. Things are going to go pretty well. you got to like a person like that, right? And, and it came true. So Jonah is probably pretty popular amongst thieves. Um, and so you got that, that aspect of this. So that being said, uh, the literary context, which is like when the book was written, who the author was, we really have no idea. Like it can be anywhere from, you know, fourth century to seventh century. We just really don't know uh, when it was actually written, but the historic context is really what matters. We do know though that it's written for the edification of God's people. Uh, and as we go through, especially when you get to Jonah chapter four, you're going to see uh, God has a hard lesson for the Israelites. But he has a really hard lesson for us. Um, I will have to say I was, you know, translating this, like I said, during during Greek exegesis, and I was so unbelievably miserable throughout the entire class. And I had the most chronic, debilitating case of the woe is me's. I mean, you would have thought, I mean, I. You would have thought that I had, I was being victimized because I had to take Greek exegesis and I was just poor me all the time. And then Jonah just kept on punching me in the jaw <laughs> and uh, convicting me of what a rotten, spoiled brat I am because that's who Jonah is, a rotten, spoiled brat. Uh, and that's who Cameron is in his flesh. So, um, to get into the book, uh, let's start in with this, this first section, Jonah 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come, upon, come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Okay, first off, what, no, what word do you notice is being uh, repeated? Tarshish, right? Um, yeah, Tarshish, okay? We'll get back to that in a second. But it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So this is the prophetic utterance. And it says, this, Jonah, the son of Amity. So to give you a sense of how, uh, how kind of dripping with the gospel this book is, Jonah, what it means uh, in Greek is silly. It can mean dove, uh, but it can also mean like a silly fool. But then Amity means faithfulness. So Jonah is a silly fool who is a son of faithfulness. And that's a pretty good encapsulation of the gospel right there, right off the bat. Um, that we tend to be pretty foolish in our sin, uh, and yet we are sons and daughters of faithfulness. We are sons and daughters of, of, the, of the, the faithful and kind Lord. And so, so anyhow, so that's, that's just right at the beginning there. Um, so God says, arise and go to Nineveh and call out against it, uh, for their evil has come up before me. Now, what's Jonah's immediate reaction? 
the deuces, right? We'll see, uh, I am not going to Nineveh. So, you know, you gotta understand why. He's not just, it's not just that Jonah is rebellious, that he's rebelling against God's word. It's that, it's a number of reasons. First off, Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. And Assyria is one of the most atrocious kingdoms in the history of the world. The, docu- the documents that we have from ancient here at history about the things that the Assyrians would do to people that they conquered are atrocities that you cannot imagine. They were awful. Uh, we have paintings, I'm not going to say what they were because they're so bad, but they had paintings uh, that are ar- serve as archaeological records of some of the atrocities that they would pull off that just blow your mind. And so they were feared by everyone. They, they were honestly, to give you a sense of how bad they were, they were like the Nazis. They were really like the Nazis. They're that kind of bad. And, you know, kind of the MO that they didn't, you know, necessarily have a very fruitful economy themselves. They would just go and conquer other nations, steal their stuff, be a parasite off of their economy. And, um, and, and that's, that's how they went about their business. And so first off, uh, Jonah is like, I'm not going to go tell the Nazis to repent. Like these people are terrible. They don't deserve God's grace. I'm not going to do that. So that's one reason. A second thing was the Assyrians had already kind of made some conquest into the northern part of northern Israel. And they had already kind of taken over a little territory, done a little um, uh, pillaging um, of the land. And it had been prophesied that the Assyrians were going to conquer Israel one day. So Jonah knows that uh, God has declared that Israel, if you don't get your act together, the Assyrians are going to come, and in fact, they do. So Jonah's no dummy. He does. He is very pleased with the fact that Israel has the upper hand right now. He's very pleased with the fact that the Assyrians are in decline, and he does not want to see them repent and turn to the Lord, because then, these first off, these wicked people would get grace, and second off, uh, the big bad wolf is now re-empowered uh, through the power of God to come and judge Israel. So he hits the road. And it says that he flees to Tarshish. This is repeated three times. Um, and it says, away from the presence of the Lord. So going back to his name, uh, Silly Fool, uh, you know, let's think about this. This and, the, and this phrase, from the presence of the Lord, is repeated multiple times. What does that kind of, how does that speak to the nature and the character of Jonah's sin? I'm going to go run away from the presence of God. What does that suggest about his own sin and his view of God? Silly fool. Like you can't get, you can't outrun God. You can't outrun him. No matter how fast you are, no matter, no matter how wise and tricky you are, he is the most high God who sees all things. So you can see kind of his arrogance in that. And by the way, we're really going to be doing here is looking at Jonah as compared to God and internalizing Jonah as a, you know, as kind of a projection of us. Or I'll just say me. <laughs> um, so anyhow, so something that's helpful to know here is, so it says that he paid the fare, he went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Um, and so, let's just take a look here at this map. All right, I wanted you to get a sense of just how deliberately Jonah is trying to get away. Uh, first off, this is where Jonah is from, Gathifer. And he, it's, it's kind of in the mountains. And it says that Jonah went down to Joppa. Well, he went down, first off, uh, to this port city, Joppa. He went south. That's one thing. But also, Joppa's at sea level, and he's coming from the mountains, so he physically went down. But that's going to be important. This word goes down, went down. You're going to see it repeated a lot. 
But look where Nineveh is, right? So Nineveh's this way, and Jonah's going that way, right? And where is he trying to get? He's trying to get to Tarshish, which is in modern-day Spain. It's on the Iberian Peninsula. We know that, at least. And it is the farthest known point away from Nineveh. <laughs> you cannot get any farther away from Nineveh than Tarshish. So he is trying, and that, that's why it's repeated, to bring your attention to the fact that let's say that if you were trying to run away from God today, or trying, if God said, go up to New York and preach to those Yankees, right, Jack? Um, then this would be like booking a, a plane flight for New Zealand or for Sydney. Uh, so, you know, you'd say over and over again, you booked a flight for Sydney. He got on the plane to Sydney. He landed in Sydney. That's, that's kind of what's going on here in the text. Um, so, it says here that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest upon the sea, so this ship threatened to break it up. Okay, so now first off, uh, with God, notice you're going to notice as we go through this book, he has total dominion over the, the natural world and the physical world. Uh, there is a really interesting theme in the book of Jonah where God has control over animals. He uses animals a lot. Animals respond to the Lord. He uses a worm. He uses a fish. The cattle and the livestock and the animals, they, they repent. It's, a, it's very interesting, um, but it's, a, it's an interesting theme here. But you see here that God appoints a mighty tempest on the sea, and the ship was threatened to break up. And so uh, the mariners were afraid. So the people on the ship were really afraid because, you know, the, the, the sea was scary in the ancient world. I mean, it's pretty scary now. Um, but it was particularly scary back then because, they're, you know, they're on wooden ships and they're sailing. And it's not, they're not made with fiberglass and steel and things like that. So they're very, very vulnerable on the sea and, and you just can't control it. So here they are in the sea and they're very afraid. And what is going on with Jonah? What, did, what was Jonah doing? The sailors are worried. They're, you know, trying to come up with a plan to save everyone. And where is Jonah? Eh, I think I'm just going to go down to the inner part of the ship and I'm just going to take a nap. You know, just really callous, not really caring about everybody else and not definitely not afraid of the Lord. And so this, the captain came up to him and said, what do, you, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. And so the captain, so think, keep in mind, this is a polytheistic world that they live in. And so, you know, and you probably have an international crew and they, they probably have multiple gods that they worship and like, hey, you. Phoenician, call out to your God. Hey, Hugh, Assyrian, call out to your God. And, you know, and just like, we'll see if any of these gods will throw us a bone here. You know, maybe one of them will be real. Uh, and so, um, so they're like, hey, Jonah, like, I don't know who you worship, but, you know, give your God a call. Uh, let's see what he will do. And so Jonah, so the cast lots and the lot falls on Jonah God, sovereign, by, by the Lord's sovereign decree. And so they say, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon you. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you from? Uh, because they figured, Jonah, you're, you're the root of the problem. And it's really interesting. Notice their, their reaction. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. Okay. Now, we read that, you know, we think of the Lord or God in like generic terms. But, you know, in the Hebrew, he says, I fear Yahweh. I fear Elohim. And... What and how does he describe Yahweh? He's the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid. Okay, why is it they're afraid? Well, it's because this God has a reputation. 
Like, oh, crud. The Hebrews have an actual, honest-to-goodness, real God who actually, who claims, and this was a unique claim, he claims to have dominion over everything. Like, you know, generally, the way that, in this polytheistic environment, the way that gods functioned was they were kind of regional. Like, yeah, you know, our God, he handles he handles the rain here in Phoenicia, or he handles the rain in Canaan, or whatever. No, no, their God is like, coast to coast, the stars, the clouds, the whole physical universe, like, that's Yahweh. That's his claim. And so when they hear that they are now at odds with Yahweh, uh, which is the covenant name of the God of Israel, they are like, we are in big trouble. This is a problem. And it says they are exceedingly afraid. Something really interesting in Hebrew. I've got to say these Hebrew things to justify uh, the time and the money that was spent on this class. Um, but it's interesting the way they don't have superlatives. Like we would say they were very afraid in English or most afraid or exceedingly afraid. In Hebrew, it's like they were filled with the fear of their fear. It's kind of, it's just kind of an interesting little way. They were afraid and filled with the fear of their fear. It's, it's just kind of like we're going to say fear multiple times, and that's how you express a superlative. So they were as afraid as you can be, and they say, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing the presence of the Lord. Proper name, he was fleeing Yahweh. That God that we do not want to be on his bad list because he had told them. Okay, and so uh, first off, you can kind of see one thing that's interesting that you'll notice in Jonah is that God has a heart for all the nations. He doesn't just have a heart for the Israelites. Like his plan throughout all the Old Testament is that the covenant of grace that he makes with Abraham, that he makes with the people of Israel, that it would extend to all people groups. And, and it was the kind of, not to say that Jesus was a plan B. He was not a plan B. He was, Jesus was the plan the whole way. But you can see in the Psalms, you can see in Exodus, uh, that God intends for the Israelites to draw all the nations to the worship and to the love and to the service and the grace and mercy of Yahweh. Uh, and so you can see, and, and that, that doesn't work out for Israel. They're, you know, they're, uh, they're not any better than we are. <laughs> and so that's, that's part of the significance of Jesus' coming is that Jesus is able through his life, death, and resurrection, to take the covenant of grace to all the nations. Uh, and so when, when God says, go to, go to Nineveh, go to the Assyrians, and call on them to repent, this is a reflection of God's desire for all nations to be blessed by his grace. And you can see here, too, that these uh, the sailors who are not Israelites, uh, they are clearly coming to know and fear and come into communion with uh, Yahweh. Uh, the God of Israel, and to be benefactors of his covenant of grace. And so, um, so, so anyhow, uh, and, and they, are, they really turn out to be a whole lot more godly and a lot more attuned to uh, what it means to be in relationship with the Lord God than Jonah does, because Jonah's trying to run away. All right, so... Um, so it's uh, so anyhow the, as the story progresses. Uh, so, sorry, one other thing. Um, well, has Jonah succeeded in getting out of the presence of the Lord? It's not working out so well. Can't can't outrun the eye of the Lord. Can't outrun His presence, which is as Deborah just said in the sermon, can be a little bit scary, because nothing is hidden from the Lord. But also, it's really encouraging because that means that God 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 knows everything about us, and He still loves us. He still wants us. Uh, so, let's keep on going. So, as the story goes, what shall we do uh, to make this, the sea quiet down? 
And Jonah is starting to have a little bit of a turn of heart. He realized that through his sin, he is now endangering the lives of other people. Uh, the reason there is this storm is because of his disobedience, which tells us that sin, you know, sin has corporate effects. Our sin, there's this idea in modern culture that like, hey, I, I, you know, there's no, it, it basically, uh, your sin, it really only relates to you yourself. You know, like, hey, I might be doing this, but I'm doing it privately. I'm not hurting anyone. That, that's just not, that's an impossibility. Like what we see in the Bible is that our individual sin always has consequence in all relationships. It affects us. It affects our relationship with God. It affects our relationship with other people. It affects our relationship in the created world. And so Jonah's sin is having is threatening the life of other people. And that's true of our own sin. Even, even if you're a believer and your sin is forgiven, the reality is that um, our sin cannot happen in isolation. It always has effects on other people. Uh, and so part of repentance is just we want to love other people. I want to, you know, no matter what my sin is, I want to repent from it because I care, because I don't want to damage other people's lives. I don't want to hurt other people. Uh, and so Jonah's starting to come awake to that. And Jonah says, hey, just throw me, throw me in the sea. Like, that's your only hope here. And so they resist this idea. They're like, oh, we, because they're afraid of the Lord. They, they are like, we don't want to, we don't want to kill you. You're a, you're an Israelite. You're under the covenant. We're not going to mess with you. Because they may not, they probably don't know this, but a reality of the covenant was God says, hey, those who bless you, we're going to, I'm going to bless. And those who are against you, I'm going to be against. And so they, they do not want to be at odds with the God of Israel. And so, um, so they try their hardest to get back to land. It doesn't work. And it's like the Lord is kind of just kind of pressing his finger on the situation and pressing his finger on, on Jonah. And to, coming to this point of surrender where, where they, the, the sailors surrender and Jonah surrenders to his will. That the only way out of this is for Jonah to be thrown into the sea. Uh, and so they throw him into the sea. They're like, God, please, please do not punish us. Uh, but it seems like your will is that we throw this guy in the sea. And they do. And it says, the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So what do we see here about the uh, the spiritual situation of the sailors? What has happened here? They have come to know the Lord. They are saved. And in fact, we uh, know through the New Testament that they, this was a this was a saving repentance. So these sailors are in heaven today, praise the Lord, because of God's crazy, mysterious, unpredictable work in the life of one disobedient sinner. Isn't that amazing? To see God's mercy and grace. He is using this situation to save for eternity a bunch of, you know, uh, pagan sailors. Um, They make sacrifices to the Lord and they make vows. Um, And Jonah, what happens to him? The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Not an accident. All right. I know this is a tough one to swallow. No pun intended. Like that? <laughs> Woo! That was for free. Um, but, um, uh, but uh, you know, it says that God appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jesus believed that this was an historical event. And so um, that was Jesus' belief. I'm, I'm on board with that as well. Uh, but I want to make a few applications here uh, to, to land the proverbial plane. Um, first, uh, look at the way that in a very unpredictable, mysterious way, God is pursuing Jonah. You know, God could have, God could have said, you know, I'm done with this Jonah guy. You know, I'll find another prophet. I'm just going to let him go off to Tarshish and psh, forget about him. 
even though it's messy, even though it's scary, even though it's dangerous, like he's trying to get out of God's presence, but God's like, I'm not going to let you out of my presence. Uh, because God loves him. God wants to see Jonah repent. Uh, and so, um, and I have to tell you, I'm, I'm now in a class on Islam. And I don't mean this in a way that's disrespectful, but I'm reading through the Quran, reading a bunch of books on Islam. And uh, the Allah, the God of the Quran, is not a God who pursues people. Um, he is not a, there's not really an offer or a concept of communion and relationship. And you definitely would never call Allah a father. Um, you would definitely never you know, use an allegory like is done in Song of Solomon um, of like God is someone who is a lover, who loves us in like almost to a romantic extent. Or God is, you know, uh, the bridegroom and we are the bride. That is not language you see in Islam. And having, uh, having to kind of read through the Quran has made me appreciate uh, the intimate and personal nature of Jesus and, uh, and of the Lord God. Um, and to see that it is a God who truly pursues us. In the way that if you know you're you're a a guy and you have a crush on a girl uh, that uh, that and I'm speaking to the teenagers, the single single teenagers right now. Um, uh, how you know how you pursue that person, you call that person, you want to ask that you know ask that person out on dates. By the way, boys call girls, don't text them, call them to go out on dates. Life lesson there. Um, but anyhow, God is a God who pursues us, and uh, and you can see that He is pursuing Jonah even though. Jonah is, is really is deliberately defying everything that God has told him to do. All right, the second thing is uh, resisting the Lord uh, is not a good idea. It's not fun. Uh, something really interesting, going back to having to justify all, all my misery with Israel, uh, Hebrew, uh, you see this word that is going to be remitted over and over again in chapter 1. This is just over three verses. Uh, yarad, Yarad. See, it's in, I don't know if you can see it in blue. But in English, it doesn't translate the same way, but the same word is used over and over again uh, to talk about how he went down to Joppa. He went down and bought a fare. He went down into the ship. And Yarad is used over and over again. And what Yarad means is to go down. And the more and more that Jonah resists God, the further down he goes. And in chapter 2, not to steal chapter 2's thunder, but you're going to see the word Sheol used, which is basically the you know, Old Testament word for the underworld. And um, so anyhow, basically, he is getting, the more he resists God, the more relational distance there is. The farther down he's going. Not down, going down in, a, in terms of like misery and alienation and depression and despair and, and just damage in his life. And so it's an interesting thing that that, that word to go down is used, and then what's the, bo- the bottom of the pit is shill. And so all that to say um, that uh, sin, is, sin does not give us life. Uh, resisting the Lord does not give us life. Only, only, only God himself gives us life. Um, okay, next thing. Uh, God is always pursuing you, and no matter what's going on in your life, God is always using it for redemptive purposes. Uh, think about the circumstances that the different people are in here, but what is actually going on. You know, I mean, uh, there's this terrible storm. People are afraid for their lives. They are terrified. It seems like everything has gone wrong. But we've seen in one sense, the sailors are being saved. The sailors are being saved. And Jonah ends up in the ocean, certainly going to die. And his worst nightmare occurs 
I am being eaten by a great fish. Okay, so he is in the stomach of a fish. I'm sorry, but that's when you blow out the candles and you're like, okay, God, we're going to make peace because clearly my life is over. I'm swimming around in the stomach acid of a large animal. Um, but God is rescuing him, right? God is rescuing his, saving his life. He doesn't realize it, but God is saving his life and uh, through being consumed by a giant fish. Uh, and so all that to say that uh, that's an encouragement, uh, no matter what you're going through, um, that the Lord is, you know, in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says that we are saved by the gospel, is the gospel by which we were saved and are being saved continuously, continuing to be saved. That doesn't mean like your your ultimate salvation is not secure. It just means you are continuing to being changed and transformed and sanctified into a person who, uh, in ways, is more like Jesus. We're never going to be any close, anywhere close to that, but God intends to, you know, change us into to different people. And, um, and, it, and it's through crazy circumstances. And so the hope, when you're in a bad situation, or you've you know, messed something up, or you've had a big disappointment, or whatever it is, is that the Lord is definitely at work. Jonah's good evidence of that. The cross is the best evidence of that. Because on the cross, it looks like the hero is done, and Jesus' ministry is finished. But in reality, what's going on, we are all being rescued from sin. And so uh, last thing here is that uh, the gospel is rescue. Gospel is rescue. And so, uh, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, we all know the old bumper sticker, Jesus is my co-pilot. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Like our salvation is rescue. It is, it is the big fish swallowing us up in total desperation. We are stranded in the middle of the ocean and carrying us to the shore and vomiting us out. Uh, and I think a lot of times, like coming into saving faith, uh, with Christ, sometimes can kind of feel like that for people. In the sense of you kind of come to this place of, of desperation where uh, nothing else has worked. Uh, you've tried all kinds of different options and or you've everything, you've, you've gotten everything you ever wanted and you're not satisfied. And you come to this place where it's like, ah, uh, yeah, clearly life on my own is not going to work. And the life I need is life in relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus comes and rescues us in that way. And that's the nature, uh, that's the nature of salvation. That's the nature of the gospel. It's the nature of Christianity is being rescued from ourselves, being rescued from our own sin, being rescued from the wrath of God and brought into, uh, communion and oneness with the, the God who is the God of heaven and earth, uh, now and forever being brought into the life that he gives. Uh, and so we never want to forget that our salvation is rescue and our daily life is rescue. When we, when we find ourselves in sin that we just can't break, we find ourselves in a, you know, a place of depression, whatever it is, um, you know, Jesus is a rescuer. God's a rescuer. And, uh, you know, we need the big fish to come swallow us up and put us on solid ground, right? We need Jesus to come pick us up and put us on solid ground. So let me pray for us. And if anyone has any questions, happy to field them. Uh, thanks so much, God, uh, that you sent Jesus to be a, to be a hero for us and to be our rescuer. And, uh, Holy Spirit, uh, sober us all to let us know uh, where we need that rescue, where we need that change that can only come uh, through your redemptive grace. We're so grateful that you are a, a good and kind God who loves us and pursues us. And may we all have a, a sense of comfort knowing that great affection you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.